This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Ben Renan was bracing for a day like the one he'd been reliving for nearly two weeks. Another day of very sad interviews, exhausting interviews, trying to get Natalie and Judith back home. Judith Ty Renan and her daughter, Natalie Shoshana Renan, from suburban Chicago, were taken hostage by Hamas during its invasion of Israel earlier this month. Ben Renan is Natalie's older brother. Instead, on Friday, the family got the news they had been desperate for. Natalie and Judith were being released. When this news hit, it was like all the emotions that we had been holding while we were fighting for them just erupted. You know, it's 13 days, but it feels like 13 years trying to keep composure because you know that getting emotional isn't going to solve anything. And it seems surreal that suddenly, I won't even say it's over, we're on to the next journey of what this is, which is their recovery. So far, Hamas has released just four of more than 200 hostages it captured during its attack on October 7th. As relieved as Ben Renan is, he knows that many other families are still living a nightmare. In this moment of elation, we're grieving for all the families that are still being kept hostage. Many of those families feel like they're in a race against the clock. Israel has signaled that it is preparing a major ground invasion of the Gaza Strip. Experts say that would put the hostages in danger. And Israel has continued its campaign of airstrikes. Airstrikes Hamas claims have already killed several hostages, though those claims could not be confirmed. That's why demonstrators like Gali Mir Taban have held protests outside of Israel's military headquarters in Tel Aviv, demanding the government do more to free the hostages. First, we need to bring them back home. All the other things can wait. Consider this. International diplomats are hard at work to try to get more hostages released. Will their success depend on getting Israel to delay its ground invasion? From NPR, I'm Juana Summers. It's Tuesday, October 24th. It's Consider This from NPR. So far, just four hostages have been released by Hamas. 85-year-old Jokhevid Lifshitz and one other hostage were freed late last night. Lifshitz said she went through a living hell. She spoke to journalists at a press conference at a Tel Aviv hospital where she was being treated. Her daughter stood by her side and translated. My mom is saying that she was taken on the back of a motorbike, that she was taken through the plowed fields, and that while she was being taken, she was hit by sticks. But Lifshitz added that she was treated kindly by her captors. When she first arrived, they told them that they are Muslims and they're not going to hurt them. 
I spoke with NPR's Michelle Kellerman about the international diplomatic efforts to free the remaining hostages, an effort that may depend on whether Israel can be convinced to delay a ground offensive. Hamas is believed to be holding 220 hostages, children, men, women, the elderly, and nationals of many countries. Um, The U.S. says there are still uh, 10 Americans missing. And National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says the administration is very focused on this. It is literally an hour-by-hour effort here at the White House and at the State Department to find out where these folks are and to try to make the effort to get them out and get them back. He also says there are several hundred Palestinian Americans who are trying to get out of Gaza as Israel continues to bombard the area. The U.S. has been trying to get them through a border crossing with Egypt, but Egypt is pushing for more aid to get in. The U.N. says only about 54 trucks have gotten in in recent days, but no fuel, and this is a drop in the bucket for what's needed. Um, Palestinians say 5,000 Palestinians have been killed in Mm -hmm. Israeli airstrikes. You know, there were 1,400 Israelis killed by Hamas. Michelle, I mean, how much is the hostage diplomacy weighing on officials as they talk to Israel about preparations for a future ground offensive? Well, certainly family members want to give diplomacy more time. Um, You're also hearing that from European diplomats. The French president, Emmanuel Macron, is going to Israel this week, and the fate of French hostages will be on his agenda. Um, You know, Juana, I talked to Christopher O'Leary, who used to be the director of hostage recovery for the U.S. government. He's now with a security consultancy called the Soufan Group. And he says the U.S. and others could argue for a delay, but he added this. Hamas is playing a very deliberate, calculated game. This is part of their broader strategy. They were going to try to drag this out and change the narrative from what they did on October 7th to somewhat being victims. The U.S. and Israel don't want to let Hamas buy time to rest and refit, as one State Department spokesman said today. And Michelle, in the short time we have left, is the United States asking Israel to delay its ground offensive to allow for more hostages to be released? Well, officials won't say that publicly, but they are offering some words of caution behind closed doors with Israel. And there are other reasons why, not just the hostage situation. There's a big fear of regional blowback that could mean threats against U.S. embassies and military bases. So U.S. officials are talking about steps they're taking to beef up security in the region with aircraft carrier groups and with other forces to prepare for that kind of blowback. NPR's Michelle Kellerman. One of the key players in the negotiations over the hostages is the Gulf nation of Qatar. This is not the first time Qatar has stepped in to mediate conflicts in the region. And to help us understand why, we reached out to Badr Al-Saif, a professor of history at Kuwait University. He spoke with my co-host, Mary Louise Kelly. All right, give me a little bit of the history here. How, how Qatar's influence with Hamas affords it a, a unique position to try to influence Hamas. Let me first speak about the way that Qatar perceives itself in the region. Mm -hmm. It, as a small state in a region dominated by large forces, wanted to really shine and and play an outsized role by presenting itself as a mediator. They've done this in the past. Mm -hmm. They've uh, successfully worked on deals that relate to Yemen in 2007, 
Lebanon in 2008, and more recently Afghanistan, as you know, in 2021. Yeah, they helped um, get Americans Iran out. Iran just a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. Mm-hmm. This is such helpful background. Let me steer us to that question that I started out with, which is why would Hamas listen to Qatar? Hamas has a different ties with Qatar. Qatar has been a very key interlocutor when it comes to presenting aid to Gaza infrastructure in the past. Mm. As you know, Gaza has been decimated a few times by Israel in the past, and that required a lot of building up. And the reconstruction has been largely bailed by various parties in the region, in the Middle East, but by Qatar as well. Um, they also have a representation, I believe, in Doha, a Hamas just office. like they had with yeah, the Taliban in the capital. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it makes more sense to have that line open for them to intervene when they already have a relationship, which isn't the case, by the way, with a lot of the countries in the region. And you spoke to this a little bit, but what is in it for Qatar? This is I understand that they want to play this role. Is this about increasing their leverage on the world stage for such a tiny country? Uh, one, that's exactly it. Plus, Qatari uh, foreign policy, as a small state, it requires a secure region for it to thrive. So they would like to see peace and prosperity become the mainstream in the region. That hasn't been the case, unfortunately, for the Middle East. And they can afford this as one of the richest countries in the region, a small-sized population, large GDP. And don't forget, Qatar has also been a victim of a Gulf rift in the past few years when it was blockaded by different states. So in its world conception, no one should go through this again. And hence, it strives to work with other parties to reduce conflict. So here is a challenge, which is Hamas is designated a terrorist organization by the U.S., by Israel, by others. How does Qatar navigate that, particularly in light of its status as a U.S. ally? The way it has navigated the Iran card, all of the states that you've mentioned need someone to talk to a party that they're not talking to. So when you have someone that's in the standing of Qatar that can relay accurate messages and to get the ideas through, that's helpful. I mentioned there's still a couple hundred other hostages being held by Hamas, including Americans. Would you expect Qatar to continue to work with the U.S. on their release? Oh, definitely. I think we are undergoing a very intense negotiation. But let's not look at the side story here. I think there is a bigger picture as well. Let's also look at the many, many lives lost from the Palestinian side and the many, many prisoners also in Israeli prisons. So I think they're trying to look at it in a holistic manner. Hmm. How is this seen in other Arab capitals? Qatar's role as, as a mediator here. Qatar's role as a mediator is welcome news. And remember, this region tends to export a lot of bad news around the world and seldom do we get good airtime. This is one of those good airtimes in which there is a country that's playing a constructive role and it fits into the larger positive role that the Gulf states are playing on the world stage from the Middle East. That was Badr Al-Safe of Kuwait University speaking with my co-host Mary Louise Kelly. The team that brings you Consider This is also behind All Things Considered, our afternoon news show. It's a mix of the deep dive you get on the podcast, along with more stories you'll want to hear. Visit npr.org slash allthingsconsidered to stream it live every afternoon. It's Consider This from NPR. I'm Juana Summers. History is intriguing. 
But unlike the present, it can feel far off. On NPR's Throughline, we bring it back to life. I will toss you in the air like a lion. I will leave no one alive in your realm. Go inside the stories from then that shape the world we live in now. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and more about why people do the things they do. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com podcast or wherever you listen.